Now this quote has been very helpful for me in this way. There's a, there's a wise man, church history, named Archibald Alexander, who's dead now. But here's what he says about true Christian knowledge. He defines it by two necessary stages. And here's what he says. He says the first stage of true Christian knowledge is the knowledge of the truth as it is revealed to us in Holy Scripture. So I want you to understand that. That's the facts, the information, the data that we read in God's Word. That's stage one. Okay? And then he says, but stage two of true Christian knowledge is the impression that those truths make on the human soul when they are rightly apprehended. Then this man, he compares the first stage to a signet ring. You've heard me say this before. And he compares the second stage of true knowledge to the impression that a signet ring makes in the hot wax. And what we want to know is that anything short of both of those stages is counterfeit Christian knowledge. Ryan prayed it just a minute ago. He didn't know this. He says, bring clarity to our minds. And then he said, and worship to our hearts. Anything short of that is unchristian. It's a false knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so who are we this morning? We are a people that's in desperate need to be reminded of the truth of the incarnate Lord as it comes to us through Holy Scripture. We need to re be reminded of the doctrine of Jesus Christ. But even more than that, that's absolutely essential. There's no way around it. Even more than that, we need to be impacted freshly about the truth of Jesus Christ this morning. And so, if the incarnate Lord, if the truth about Jesus were a beautiful signet ring, then we need it pressed into our souls this morning. We need to be impacted by His glorious gospel. And brothers and sisters all around the room, you know that that is the work of the Holy Spirit of God. Man can't do those things. We are completely dependent to be impacted for God the Holy Spirit to make His Word effective in our life. And so with that warning and with that aim, let's pray together and let's ask God to remind us of the glory of Jesus as we give attention to this very familiar story this morning. Let's pray. Father, we come with praise on our lips this morning. And we gather together in your holy presence. And we exalt your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for your great grace and your mercy that you have given us in Jesus. Lord, we are yours. And you are everything to us. And we ask for grace today to exalt you, to remember you. And we pray, Lord Jesus, be glorified in your church. Be magnified in every heart. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, to come drive these truths into every mind. Make them firm and drive them into every heart. Lord, melt us. God, bring forth gratitude and soberness and worship as we give attention to what you have done for us in Jesus Christ. This is our prayer this morning. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We'll cover one verse this morning. Let's read it together. Let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. This is the word of God to us as the church today. Let's read it together. 
For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. So this verse is going to serve us this morning. It's going to frame up the Christmas story, which is a summary of the Christian gospel. And we're going to cover this one verse under three headings, and here they are. Heading number one, we're going to give attention to the eternal glory of Jesus Christ. He was rich. And it's very important that we know the one who's laying in the manger. Very important. Heading number two, we're going to give attention to the humiliation of His incarnation. The rich one became poor. And we're going to stare at that massive chasm this morning. We're going to ask God to impact us with the grace that He has shown us in Jesus. And then we're going to close our time together this morning. Heading number three, we're going to give attention to the goal of the incarnation. He did that. He became poor to make us rich. He did it for a reason. That's where we're headed this morning. And let's start by giving attention to Jesus Christ this morning. And He is presented to us as one who was rich. That's how this verse starts off. He was rich. And so I want to remind you of this beautiful truth this morning. Okay? Christmas does not start with a baby. It doesn't even start with Bethlehem. It doesn't even start in Old Testament prophecy. It starts in eternity. And it is critical. You can't understand anything about the manger and this little baby that's lying in the manger unless you know who he is rightly. And the word of God says that the one that's lying in the manger, it's very important that you know this. He was Rich, He was rich. And this is a description of who Jesus was before He was born. In John chapter 17 verse 5, Jesus tells us these words. He says, He's praying to the Father. And He tells us that He was in glory with the Father before the world existed. I want you to let that sit this morning. You think about this. You've heard me say this before. Where were you before you were born? Well, you say you were in your mother's womb. True. Okay. Where were you before that? Where were you before you were conceived? And the crickets begin to chirp because we were nowhere. We did not exist before we were born. That is not true about the Lord Jesus Christ. Before He was born, He was rich. And the Bible tells us that before Jesus was born... He was in eternal glory with God the Father. Before the world was created, He was the possessor of eternal glory. He was rich because He was God, the eternal Son, the second person of the Trinity. Okay? So let's think about this this morning. Let's drive that in. We want to remember Jesus Christ as the one who was rich. That's the appropriate background for his condescension and his humiliation and his incarnation. He was rich. Rich in eternal glory. I'll give you just a few things to think about here. 
In Scripture, Jesus is presented to us as one who is rich in infinite possessions. Okay, We've been preaching through the, the book of Colossians as a local church. And coming through the end of Colossians chapter 1, we know who Jesus is. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 and 17, Jesus was the Christ of creation. Jesus created all things. And then listen to this. For himself, he made everything in heaven and on earth and he made it for his personal use. He made it for himself. And what that means is that he owns everything. Jesus Christ was rich in possessions. He is the Christ of Colossians chapter 1. And not only that, he's the God of Psalm 50 verse 10. Listen to what this says. This is who Jesus is. He says this. Every beast of the forest is mine. And the cattle on the thousand hills. He owns it all. The Christ before the manger was rich. And he owned everything. Rich in possessions. Abraham Kuyper rightly says of Jesus. He says this. There is not one square inch in the whole domain of our human existence. Over which Christ who is sovereign over all. Does not cry mine. He owns it all. Every single molecule. Every single planet and galaxy. And every single human being. He owns it all. And he says over all. Mine. He is the Lord. Rich in possessions. But I want you to think about this. He's also, he was also rich in power. And here's what I mean by that. You think about his rich in possessions, but in eternity past, if we remember who Jesus was, let's just say a hypothetical that there was a moment that Jesus Christ had some lack, that he was insufficient in some way. You know what would have happened? He has created power. He's the Christ of Colossians chapter 1. He, he, he creates all things with the word of his mouth. And so he's rich in Power. And so that there's ever a moment where he lacks anything, guess what happens? He opens his mouth and he creates whatever he desires with a word from his mouth. Out of nothing, everything flies into existence from the words of Jesus Christ. He's the exalted creator, rich in power. This is who the baby in the manger was before his Incarnation. I want to take it just one step further. Rich in possessions. Rich in power. And I want to give attention to Jesus Christ. Rich in honor. Who was the baby before he was in the manger. And we see from many encounters in the Old Testament. That the pre-incarnate Christ. Listen to this. There was never a moment. After the spirit world was created. There was never a millisecond to where angels did not bow down in the presence of King Jesus and give him never ceasing, unrelenting worship, heavenly angelic worship. This is who he was before he was in the manger. And let's just drive this home. In Isaiah chapter 6, it was the pre-incarnate Christ. It was Jesus. That the seraphim saw in Isaiah chapter 6. And what are they doing? These massive, powerful, created beings have never sinned. They're righteous angels. 
And what do we see them doing? They are taking their massive wings and they are covering themselves from the radiant glory of Jesus Christ. They are hiding themselves. And at the same time, they're hiding themselves from His glory. And then what are they doing? They are screaming at the top of their voice so loud that it sounds like an earthquake in the temple of God. And what are they saying? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. This is who Christ was. He was rich. It was like a never-ending earthquake of worship in His presence. So this is who Jesus is. He is rich. And finish this sentence for me. Before He was born, Jesus was rich and He needed nothing. Absolutely nothing. He was rich. And then what happens? Our text this morning, one verse of Scripture, in just a few words, we're way up here in glory. And then our text takes a massive plunge downward. And here's the, here's the deal this morning. You will never understand the gospel. You will never understand the Christmas story unless you begin to contemplate and give attention to this massive gap between Christ and His riches and Christ in His poverty. Massive gap. Not a little notch down, but a massive infinite gap is covered in these words. He was rich, but He became poor. And here's what we mean. At His very core, the Gospel is a condescension of God, the Eternal Son. It's a story of God stooping down to save us, to serve us. Massive, infinite gap. And so what happens at Bethlehem? Well, these words say at Bethlehem, God stoops down. The rich one made himself poor. And the possessor of limitless, eternal glory that lacked nothing made himself poor. This is the incarnation. This is the doctrine of the infleshing of God the Son. The story of this eternal Son of God coming to us as a man. And you have to understand that's more than a heart moving story. You have to see this as poverty. Okay? When Jesus became a man, it was a humiliation, an absolute humiliation for the Son of God. This is the story of the Creator with infinite glory entering into His own creation as one of His own creatures. And that is a humiliation for Jesus Christ. And so Philippians chapter 2 covers the same thing, the condescension of the Son of God. And as that gap is given attention to Christ in riches and eternal glory and Christ in poverty, Philippians chapter 2 tells us this. That gap, here's how it says it. Jesus, as He descended that gap, He made Himself nothing. He made Himself nothing. He humiliated Himself. He became poor. The rich one became poor. So I don't ever want myself or us as a local church or you here today. Okay? 
I don't ever want us to get over the shocking reality of these words. The rich one in eternal glory became the poor one in the manger, humiliated himself. Let me give you some reminders of the contrast that we see in this story. As we give attention to the story at Bethlehem, this is the story of the eternal God invading time. You wrap that in your mind for a second. The one who has no beginning and has no end is born. The invisible God who no man can see or will ever see becomes visible in the manger, in the person of Jesus Christ. It is a shocking message. Shocking message. For the first time and the last time in all of human history, never happened before and will never happen again. The infinite God became an infant. The infinite became finite. The one without beginning and without end became a finite human being. This is the shocking message of the incarnation. In modern language, we can say it like this. That the eternal deity began to wear diapers. You think about that. Think about the contrast of that. The one who needed nothing is now helpless and dependent on his mother just to survive in his own creation. When Jesus began to claim deity in human flesh, they charged him with blasphemy. That's how shocking that the incarnation was to the ears of man. A shocking message. How could God dwell in a human body? This is mind-blowing condescension. Think about this. In Isaiah 6, the train of Jesus' robe filled the temple when Isaiah saw his glory. And we know from Luke chapter 2, the story of Jesus born in the manger, that what happens in this condescension is he takes those royal robes, those garments of glory, he takes them and lays them aside and he trades them for swaddling clothes. He trades his eternal throne of glory and he chooses to lie helpless in a manger. The one who he said what owns the cattle of a thousand hills, he goes to sleep the first night he's born in a place where cattle sleep. It is a mind-blowing, shocking condescension of Christ in riches to Christ in poverty. And if you don't see it as shocking, mind-blowing, you're not seeing it rightly. You don't understand this shit. You have to give attention to that gap. But taking it even further than that, it's possible to have your mind blown about these things, but to still be ignorant of why is that baby in the manger? Why is he here? I get it. I get that he was God in eternity. I get that he made himself nothing. I get all of that. It blows my mind. I don't understand all of it. I believe that. But why is he here? And our text says to make us rich. He became poor to make us rich. And what that means is that there's design in the incarnation. There's a reason why Jesus took on a human body to make us rich. And we know the Christian gospel. 
We know that the only way that the Lord Jesus makes us rich is by dying on the cross in our place. He became a man to die for our sins. He's a baby in the manger, but he's on his way to the cross to pay for our sins. That's why he is here to make us rich. This is not a pointless humiliation. He didn't make himself nothing for no reason. He's here accomplishing our salvation. One commentator says this. He says the New Testament knows nothing, knows nothing of an incarnation that can be defined apart from the atonement of Jesus Christ. It makes no sense without the atonement. At his birth, you know what they say? A Savior is born this day. Call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. It is impossible to celebrate Christmas rightly and to give attention to the baby in the manger and ignore his bloody cross. This is why he is here. He made himself nothing. He became poor. He entered into this world because he is on a rescue mission to save sinners. Amen? That means that Bethlehem is not a cutesy infant story, right? It's not a cutesy infant story that moves our hearts. This cutesy infant story that God became this helpless, cute little baby. What is it? It's a rescue mission. A little helpless baby. Is born into this world. And what do we know is happening behind the scenes? We know. That God the eternal son. At Bethlehem. Has invaded planet earth. On a rescue mission. To save sinners. Captain of salvation. Invading the land of darkness. This is what's happening. Behind the scenes. If you don't understand this about Christmas. You don't understand. The gospel. It's in his very name. Call his name Jesus. For he will save their, his people from their sins. Matthew chapter 1 verse 21. So I want you to think about this. This is who he was. In his riches and his eternal glory. This is who he condescended to be. In his poverty. And this is why he did it. He did it for our salvation. He did it to save us from our sins. How did he come? He came in poverty. And I want you to, I, I don't want you to miss this this morning, okay? Look at these words. Look at these words. Our text says this. He became poor, and then let this land on you this morning. For you. So we're talking about eternity past. Limitless infinite glory. No end to the riches and the power of the Lord Jesus needing nothing. We're talking about him invading time on a rescue mission to save sinners. We're talking about cosmic things. Eternal things that cover the whole scope of human history. We're talking about the hinge on which all of history swings. The incarnation and the death of Jesus Christ in our text says he did that for you. He did that for you. This gets really wide and really big that he did that for the whole world. And that is definitely true. 
But what our text reminds us of this morning is that what Jesus did for the whole world, He did that for you. He did that for you. He was rich and He became poor for you. That melts my heart this morning. Who, who are we that the Son of God should descend into this lowly place for us? We are nothing. We are nothing. I want you to be reminded of this today. Bethlehem is for you. The rich one became poor for blasphemers, for idol worshipers, for sinners, for the rebellious ones, for you. Just like you, just like me. He did this for you. He traded angelic worship. Remember that. Like an earthquake, perpetual earthquake of worship. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And he traded that for a manger and a life in this world of rejection and shame. And he traded that for what? For you. He did this for you. He made himself nothing for you. He was rich and he became poor for you. He was humiliated for you. Think about that. Think about the glory and the love and the mercy that's wrapped up in this. The Son of God was humiliated for me. He chose shame for me. Rejection for me. He chose poverty for me. What He did for the whole world, He did for me. Listen to what one early Christian pastor pastor says about this. He says, Each and every one of us owe to Christ an individual debt of gratitude. Just as if it were true that we were the only ones in the universe that He came to save. That's how large your debt of gratitude is to Jesus Christ. He did this for you. He made Himself nothing for you. And every one who has been humbled by the Holy Spirit in the room says, Who am I, Lord? Who am I that you would come for me? A sinful man. A sinful woman. Who am I that would deserve such things? And look at what the text says. This is not about deserving. This is not about merit. I want you to see this well. The distance here between Christ and His riches and His eternal glory and Christ and His poverty. That distance that Jesus condescended. The text says this. That, that is defined as the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. How can you begin to understand that gap that was descended? The Bible gives you a label for that. That's called the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one of infinite glory descends into the place of humiliation for those who do not deserve it. Sinful and rebellious to the core. And the Bible says this is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is not about merit. This is not about earning. This is about being loved by God. This is about God's great love for sinners. This is about the grace of God. And so, I want you to begin to meditate and stare at this gap. Come back to this several times. Stare at that gap for a moment. Jesus was this, but Jesus became this high and exalted 
to the lowly one, even dying a shameful death on the cross for you, the sinful one. And God's word says, this is the grace of God for you. And so as you give attention to this massive chasm, this massive distance, as you give attention to that, God the Holy Spirit produces these things. As you begin to see this rightly, amazingly, amazingly, how could this be true? The only thing that we deserve from God the Eternal Son was to be crushed by His righteous wrath. He is the just one with all authority. We spit in His face, rebelled against Him from the moment of birth. The only thing that He owed us was judgment and hell. And He gave us Himself, stooped to the lowest place to save us. That's an amazing thing. As you see that gap rightly, it produces amazement in the human soul. And not only amazement, unworthiness, unworthiness. Who am I to be loved by Jesus Christ in this way? Who am I, Lord? And not only unworthiness, thankfulness. Of unless He did this, I have no chance. In all of eternity, I have no chance of salvation apart from this Savior invading this world on His rescue mission to save sinners. Amazement, unworthiness, and gratitude. And as those things are produced in the human soul, you're beginning to see that gap rightly. You're beginning to see the Christian gospel rightly. And as you stare at that gap long enough, the Holy Spirit produces worship for Jesus Christ. What a wonderful Savior that left glory to come save me from my sins. Dying in my place, taking my wrath. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And even this, in the quiet moments of your life, I love you, Lord Jesus. No one has ever loved me like this, Lord Jesus. This is the unthinkable love of God. You are the worthy one. This is worship to Christ. This is what the baby in the manger deserves. It's not a cutesy infant story. This is salvation unleashed on planet Earth. Jesus didn't come to be remembered once a year. And we know that that's popular in our culture. He didn't come to make you religious. The text says that He came to make you rich. He didn't come that He would be a ritual on your calendar. He came to make you rich. He descended to the lowly place to make you rich. This is almost identical language to an earlier verse in the same letter. Turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I'll read this, verse 21. It says, For our sake He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. This is why He came. He didn't come to make you religious. He came to make you rich. He came to make you righteous. The sinful one. He took your sins upon His body on the tree, died in your place on His bloody cross, bearing the wrath that belonged to you. Why did He do that? So that you could become the righteousness of God. So that you could be rich. So that you could be rich. And the riches that He gives are better than gold. They're better than money. They're better than any earthly treasure. You know why? Because they're eternal. They never fade away. They never diminish. The riches of Jesus Christ. He gives us riches. Justification. 
A right standing before God. That's a beautiful treasure for a sinful human being. He gives us adoption. The cast out ones, the orphans, the ones cast out of God's kingdom, God's family. He adopts us as His own children. That is a beautiful, beautiful treasure. And not only that, He gives us eternal life. Those dead in their sins. He gives us eternal life. And more than anything else, He gives us Himself. Jesus becomes to us the highest of all treasures. He becomes to us the, 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 the treasure in the field. The our exceedingly great reward. He is everything to us. He came to make us rich. Everything to us. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says this. This is how rich you are in Christ, brothers and sisters. Listen to this verse. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has blessed us in Christ. Listen close. With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Say it again. Every believer in the room. You might have $100 in your bank account. You might not have that much. You can be among the poorest on planet earth. And if you believe the gospel, this is true of you. You have... Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And with those words, you are made richer than any other human being on the face of this earth. Jesus Christ came to make us rich. And I want to just close with, with a question. As we end our time together. Who receives these riches? He became nothing. He did this to make us rich. Who receives these riches? Now this is something that I've been thinking about for a couple of weeks in this Christmas season. I've noticed it this year more than I ever have. That there's a theme stretching through the Christmas story. Both the Old Testament prophecies and the gospel narratives about the birth of Jesus Christ. There's a theme that the riches of Christ are given to the humble, to the lowly in this world. So I want to remind you about this. Out of every place that Christ could have been born in this world, where does God choose? Micah chapter 5 tells us that He chooses the smallest of all the clans of Judah. Bethlehem is where the ruler is going to come forth. Think about that. God's king, the captain of salvation, could come anywhere on planet earth. And God chooses humble, lowly, insignificant Bethlehem, not powerhouse Jerusalem. Why is God doing things like that? Fast forward a little bit in the Christmas story. The one who is to carry the Son of God in her womb is a lowly, obscure virgin named Mary. Lowly, lowly servant of God. She hears the news and she doesn't say, of course the Savior is going to be born from me. Of course, look how awesome I am. She's overwhelmed that this glorious news could come to her. This lowly servant. Servant of the Lord. Fast forward in the Christmas story. Who hears the gospel first? Jesus comes into the world. And you know who's the first to hear this glorious good news? Not the priest who had given their life to the study of scripture in Jerusalem. Who hears the good news first? It's the lowly, poor shepherds who are gathered in these fields taking care of animals. You see that theme stretching across the riches of Jesus Christ is given to the lowly, given 
to the humble. This is why God's designed it like this. This is why Mary, when she celebrates the conception of Jesus Christ in her womb, listen to what she says in Luke chapter 1, verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty-handed. So what do we what do we take away from this? Who receives the riches of Jesus Christ? And the answer to that question is those who receive the riches of Christ are those who know that they are nothing without Jesus. Nothing without Him. Those who know that without Christ, I am only weak and I have no strength. That's humble. That's lowly. That's seeing the universe and your own self rightly. Apart from Jesus, I have only sin and I have no righteousness. No good apart from Jesus Christ. Those are the ones who receive the riches. The ones who know that apart from Jesus, there is only wrath and no reward. I have no chance of being right with God apart from Christ. And you know the opposite of that is true too. The ones who are rich in their own mind, the ones who are convinced that they have no need of Jesus, what's true about them? Luke chapter 1, they are sent away Empty. They get nothing of the riches of Jesus Christ. The riches of Christ are given to the humble. So listen to this beautiful design that God has done at Bethlehem. Listen to this. Okay, Before anyone is made rich in Jesus Christ, the necessary step that they are taken through first is that they are made aware that they are nothing. That they are nothing. That step always precedes the riches that are given. Made aware of your nothingness first, then you are given the riches of the Lord Jesus. So think of how beautiful this is. That means that a believer, that a Christian, is holding the infinite riches of Jesus Christ. Amen? We are given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Every single one. Every single believer. Nobody has more than the other. We have Christ. Every single one of us. But what does this thing tell us? It tells us that though we have these infinite possessions in our hand. God has taken us through a process that we know before we hold these riches in our hand. We are nothing without Jesus. So every single one who holds the crown, holds the riches, holds the glory of Christ. God has taken them through a process to eliminate any human boasting. No human boasting that I have these riches of my own strength, my own wisdom, of good choices that I have made in this world. We have the riches of Christ because of Christ and nothing else. And so we sing the hymn. Nothing in my hand I bring simply to the cross I cling. So this is, this is the thing. The humble have the riches and they give all the glory to Jesus Christ for their salvation. Now, 
Here's my prayer this morning. That God would use this text in your life and that every single person will walk out of this room and that we would be freshly reminded of two things. And the first is that you are nothing without Jesus. You are not a five on a zero to ten scale without Christ. It's not that you just failed the test and got a 55. You are nothing without Jesus. And may the Holy Spirit drive that in like a signet ring in the hot wax that we can feel it in our soul. Lord Jesus, I am nothing without you. Only sin and no righteousness. Only evil and no good. May God remind us of that all over this room. And the second thing is this, that we would walk out of here today being made freshly aware of that. That I am nothing without you, Lord. And that we would give attention to that massive gap. That you gave everything for me. You, you gave everything to save me. You became poor for me, Lord Jesus. And that the Holy Spirit would use that gap to pr produce gratitude to the Lord Jesus Christ for this beautiful condescension. Beautiful condescension. Brothers and sisters, we are rich in Jesus. May God remind you of that today. You have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. But at the same time, as you're reminded, I'm rich in Christ. I'm rich in Christ. May every single one of us remember that the price of those riches was his poverty. It cost Jesus everything. That's why we're rich in Christ. We're rich in Christ. And we love you, Lord Jesus. You did everything for us. With these us giving attention to these thoughts. May Christ Jesus be remembered today in every heart and every mind. May He be worshipped as the incarnate Lord, the captain of salvation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for revealing your gospel to us, Lord. God, we, we can never declare all of it. God, we can't. It is unsearchable riches. It is unfathomable glory. But Lord, we tell you as your church, Lord Jesus, we love you. Because you first loved us, our response back to you is that we love you, Lord. We love you. God, thank you for opening our eyes to our need for you. And we ask that you would do that in this room even now, God. That you would make men and women Aware of their state apart from you. And Holy Spirit, we ask as we go through the day today and this week and head into a new year. God, we pray that you would make the things of Jesus Christ beautiful to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.